All right, um, to our Bible study, um, turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. You're going to find the book of Acts right after the fourth gospel. So if you go to the New Testament and you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts is right there after John. So good to just be in God's house with you tonight. And I really just want to um, pick out a couple of things that the Lord showed me um, in my Bible reading um, in Acts chapter 16. Um, and it has to do with God's calling on our lives. And we're going to read through the whole chapter. So we're going we're gonna to do some, some good Bible reading. So I hope that you're ready to read God's word with me tonight. Uh, but Acts chapter 16, as I was reading this and the Lord was impressing things upon my heart, um, this chapter really has to do with being obedient to God's calling in your life. Now listen, this is important to understand. God's calling on your life will look different from God's calling on someone else's life. And that's a really important thing to understand, that God's calling on your life is distinct and unique from where and how God might call someone else. But we love to play this comparison game in our demographic especially because we look on social media and we're in different groups or different cliques and we see how far along people are in our own friend group. This person's in a relationship, this person's married, this person has this unique job. And so we play this comparison game and we begin to doubt and question God's calling on our lives. But I just want to encourage you and really just remind you, especially as we go through this chapter, that God's call on your life is unique and it's different. And so don't compare. But within this 16th chapter, what I realized is even though God's call on each of our lives is unique and different depending on God's will, there are some principles that we can apply uh, to the whole body of Christ, no matter where God calls you or no matter what God calls you to. There are specific principles, specific things to understand about God's calling on your life that is applicable to everyone here in this room. So that's what I hope to unpack with you tonight as we make our way through Acts chapter 16. And if I could title tonight's message, it would be Understanding the Call. There are some things that I want you to understand about the call of God in your life. Understanding the call. We're going to read first. Uh, let's, let's check out the first five verses together and, and we'll dig that out. And then we'll make our way through the chapter. Um, the book of Acts primarily is a book centered around this one guy. His name is Paul. And Paul, if you remember, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is a Pharisee who is opposing uh, the Christian movement. Okay, Jesus has died on the cross for the sin of the world. He rose again. He appeared physically to people for 40 days on earth tells his followers to go wait in Jerusalem. Acts chapter two, God's gift of the Holy Spirit falls on believers and now the good news of Jesus Christ is beginning to advance and people are getting saved and the church is growing, the church is advancing. There's this one dude whose name is Saul and in the the Greek his name is Paul. 
Um, in the Hebrew, it's Shaul or Saul, so he goes by both names. But Saul in Acts chapter 9, he's a Pharisee, a legalistic Jew, hates the movement of the Christians, and he sets out to persecute believers, even murdering believers. He's a murderer, he's a persecutor. He hates the Christian movement because it opposes the Jewish law, which says that you are right with God by obeying the Mosaic rules and regulations, by being circumcised, by following all of the feasts. And there's this message of grace sweeping the community saying, we are saved not by our works, but we're actually saved through our faith in God's grace when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. This, this message is advancing and Paul hates it. So he sets out to kill Christians, but Jesus, while Paul is on his way to the city called Damascus, Jesus appears to Paul and Paul has this amazing conversion experience where he humbles himself before the Lord and he gets saved and now he is God's primary missionary to the Roman Empire. So we enter here into Acts chapter 16. Paul is on his second missionary journey. And Paul is making his way throughout the Roman Empire preaching Christ. And so we see here in verse 1, it says this, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, that he is Paul. He also has this traveling companion. His name is Silas. So then Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. I want you to circle that word. Well, it's not just a word, it's a pronoun. His name is Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Timothy, he was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that Timothy's father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul, he's on this missionary journey, and he goes to these regions of Derbe and Lystra, and there he comes upon this guy, his name is Timothy. And there's a couple of things that we can pick up about this guy named Timothy. I want to work backwards, starting in verse 3. He, he, sa- he meets this guy named Timothy, and he says, Timothy sounds like a pretty cool guy, Tim, and I want to take him along my, my traveling journeys with me as a missionary. And the Bible says here that he takes Timothy, but it's, it's really just interesting. I just want to make a passing note of it. The Bible says that before he took Timothy on his journeys, that Paul had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in that region. And most of you would wonder, why would Paul have Timothy circumcised? I thought we weren't saved by our works. Circumcision was a Jewish regulation. Every baby boy was circumcised on the eighth day. It was how uh, people um, outwardly expressed that they were set apart unto the true God. So this is a Jewish regulation, but Paul would later say in the book of Philippians that uh, circumcision is not what saves us. There was this Jewish uh, sect going around saying, yeah, Jesus is the way to be saved, but you also have to be circumcised and follow all of the Mosaic regulations. Paul later comes along, he, rebunks, he debunks that. He says, no, we're saved by God's grace. It doesn't, we're not saved by our works, especially being circumcised. But why does he have Timothy circumcised here? Well, really because you have to understand, Paul bringing Timothy along on his missionary journeys 
Paul was a preacher to Jews and would visit different Jewish synagogues. So he didn't want Timothy's lack of being circumcised to be a stumbling block as to why they wouldn't accept Paul's message. So he's like, let's get Timothy circumcised so that we're able to be accepted. We have free acceptance uh, and we're granted into the synagogues, into the Jewish churches. We don't want this issue of circumcision to get in the way or be a stumbling block. So he gets Timothy circumcised. And so he brings Timothy along. The Bible also notes that um, he has a Jewish mom. He has a Greek dad. And it also says that, verse 2, that Timothy is well spoken of. So Paul comes along to the area of Lystra, sees this guy Timothy, and he hears the scuttlebutt that Timothy is a good, well-spoken of guy. I'll never use the word scuttlebutt again. I'm so sorry about that. But he hears the rumors that Timothy is this well-spoken of guy in the community of believers. So he says, he says I, I want this guy to, to come alongside me in my, in my missionary travels. This is important to note. The NLT says that he was um, well thought of. Timothy, he's a well thought of guy in, in the community of believers. This is important to note because many of us think that our relationship with God is all about just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It doesn't matter what other people think of me. Uh, Other people's opinions of me isn't a concern of mine. I don't care what people think of me. And to some degree, yes, that's exactly true. We shouldn't care what other people think about us and be so consumed with it because we're going to be ridiculed and mocked outside the walls of the church for following Jesus. So you need to have thick skin and you can't just take everything so personal. So yes, that's true to an extent. Don't care what other people think about you. But have you ever thought that your reputation, especially amongst the body of believers, is very important? A lot of the time we just think, listen, it's just me and Jesus. I don't care what other people think of me. You need to. Your reputation, especially amongst the community of believers, is important. Are you someone like Timothy was in your sphere of friends where if your name was brought up, you, you would be well thought of. Do you have that kind of reputation in your circle that you're well thought of? You know, we just kind of think, it's, 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 who cares? It's just me and Jesus. It, you know, it's, it's not just you and Jesus because you influence people and your attitude and your behavior um, either points people to Jesus or turns people off. And so, again, it doesn't mean that you need to just always be a people pleaser. Don't, don't try to be a people pleaser. Don't try to be a people pleaser and just please people. That's not what I'm talking about. But you need to always just be in this mindset that people are watching and, and just kind of have this attitude of, listen, in my, in my circle of of believers in my community, I, I, wanna, I want this to be said of me. I, I want to be like a Timothy. I want to be well thought of. And so be someone who is humble, who has a good attitude, who doesn't complain. Listen, we're, we're all believers in this room. I, I pray. Many of you don't know Jesus. Get saved. Get to know Jesus tonight. That's, that's my hope. But many of us in this room, we're, we're saved. We're believers, but we're annoying. We are. And, and I'm, I'm annoying. I can be annoying, too. So I'm not saying that this doesn't apply to me. But 
in your walk with Jesus and in your circle, you also have to be cognizant that you are giving off this attitude of either you're better than or um, you're just complaining all the time. You're a complainer. And, and nobody wants to be around a complainer. And, um, you know, you, you, you tend to gossip. And this is not someone um, who can be well thought of. And, and Timothy, Paul, Paul comes into this to this town of Lystra and he picks out Timothy because he hears that Timothy's a guy who's well-respected in his community of believers and, and Timothy is the guy that Paul chooses. I want this guy to, to, to travel with me. I want this guy to come alongside me in my ministry. So we have to be cognizant and we have to be cognizant of our reputation in the community of believers. Generally speaking, you can't please everybody, don't try to, but generally speaking, we should have a good reputation in our circles. And then verse one, here's, here's kind of where I want to bring our first point. Verse one, the NKJV, the translation I'm reading out of says, when Paul came to Lystra, behold, there was a certain disciple there whose name was Timothy. The New Living Translation says there was a young disciple named Timothy. Most Bible scholars believe that Timothy was either a late teenager, early, early 20s. So he's, he's a young guy. And, and out of Everybody there in the town, Paul points this guy out. He says, this young guy, I want him to join me in my ministry. And the very first point I want to emphasize to you is you're never too young to be useful for God's kingdom. You are never too young to be useful for God's kingdom. Paul would later write to Timothy in a letter that we have in our Bibles called 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. By the time Paul wrote that to Timothy, it's believed that Timothy was around the age of 30. So that should be encouraging. For those of you who are late 20s, maybe 30, you're here tonight. Paul, by Paul's standards, you're still young, okay? Listen, I'm 29. You all are going to start kicking me out of young adults soon. But I'm young. Paul says I'm young, okay? So take it up with Paul. Paul says to Timothy, who's probably 30, listen, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And that's my encouragement. Listen, I, I preach a lot on, on waiting. I teach a lot on being patient. I teach a lot on just waiting on the Lord for relationships, for job. Listen, now is the time to be useful for God's kingdom. Do not wait to be useful for God's kingdom. Oh, I, you know, when I, when I get that job, when I, when I, graduate, when I advance in my career, when I turn 30, when I'm in my, when I've, I've got a family, then God will use me. I'll be accomplished and successful. Listen, no. Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the other believers. You are not too young to be used by God. Don't wait and don't waste this time on just stupid stuff because you think God can't use me, but when I get to a certain level, that's when I can be useful. Out of everyone in this town, Paul said, I want this guy. I don't care that he's young. He's well thought of in this community. So don't let anyone discourage you. And don't be discouraged tonight. You feel young, feel inexperienced. You are not too young to be used by God. What does that look like? It's different for everybody. But a, a principle that applies to everyone in this room is you are never too young to be useful for the kingdom of God. Paul says, this guy is going to be useful to, to me in my ministry. I want to bring him along. That's what he does. So I see a room tonight full of useful people. Useful people. 
for God's kingdom. Early 20s, late 20s, whatever, however old you are, God can use you. And so Paul plucks Timothy out of this city to join him. Let's check out the rest of this chapter, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia, so Paul now, he takes Silas and Timothy, continues on his travels, and when they came uh, through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, listen, check this out. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Really weird, huh? The Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the gospel. We'll come back to that. Verse 7, after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but again, the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and this is his vision. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 says, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had, here's our word, called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. So she sold different material who had, had this beautiful purple color. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when, she had her, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and so she persuaded us. So check this out, guys. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they're making their way, continuing on to their travels throughout the Roman Empire. And two times in verses six and seven, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit Uh, the Holy Spirit did not permit them to preach the gospel in those specific regions. He he closed those doors. The Holy Spirit uh, didn't permit them. He forbid them to preach the gospel in those specific regions. And, And it's very interesting. A good thing, preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit didn't permit them to do. Why? Even though, yes, that might have been a good thing, it wasn't the right thing. And Paul was being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't permit him to go into those regions. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had a specific person in mind, Lydia. I love this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're making their way through. And the Bible doesn't specifically tell us what kind of took them off track but they just sense the Holy Spirit's closing these doors. Why is the Holy Spirit continually closing these doors? I thought the Holy Spirit wanted us to preach the gospel, but nonetheless, the Holy Spirit closed those doors because God had one specific person in mind. He said, I want you to go to this woman named Lydia. And this brings another important principle for us to understand concerning the calling of God in our lives, and it's this. Currently closed doors pave the way for future opportunities. Currently closed doors pave the way for future opportunities. Listen, it is very easy for us to get frustrated when we feel that God has closed a door. 
We're seeking to be in a relationship. We're seeking this specific career path. And I know many of you have, and I have myself, have experienced when I'm pursuing something and I feel like it's a good thing. I feel like God has equipped me for this. I feel like God has gifted me for this specific task. And I just feel like the Lord is closing doors. Listen, don't be frustrated or discouraged because every closed door means that God has another door he wants you to walk through. And we can just sit at the closed door and we can complain at the closed door. We can yell at the closed door. We can just sit at the closed door and just cry and become sad and disheartened. You never see that from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Okay, God closed this door. We're gonna see that God's gonna open up another door. We're just gonna keep pressing on. We're gonna move forward. And so if you feel that God has closed a door, and I don't know what that door might be, whether it's just this relationship's not working out, I don't want to force it, I want to try to manipulate my circumstances, I've been putting in my job application for this specific career path, just doors aren't opening up, listen, don't become frustrated. Every current closed door just paves the way for the Holy Spirit to lead you to the right door. And even though, you know, Paul and Timothy and Silas are probably thinking, listen, God, you, you want us to do this good thing, preaching the gospel. And God might, be, might, God might have good things for you. Like that specific career, maybe in a relationship, those are, those are good things. Those are fine things. Just because God closes a door doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Just might not be the right thing that God has for you. So just, just rejoice. Just rejoice. And, and don't sit at the door and complain, but just rejoice. Oh, thank you, God, for closing that door because it wasn't right for me. It wasn't right for me. And I, I'm just gonna just be patient. You're gonna move me forward, move me on to, to the, right, the right thing. And this is what I love about this story is Paul and Silas and Timothy, all right, door's closed, let's keep going. Let's just keep going. And they run into this woman named Lydia and they preach the gospel to her. And I love how the Bible words this, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her whole household were baptized. So just be, because Paul and Silas and Timothy, they, they preach the gospel to this woman, Lydia, she goes back, she tells her whole family they get saved and they get baptized. And they say, why don't you stay with me? So that's what happens. So they stay and they just kind of sit and they just wait because they don't know what, what's going to happen next. So let's pick back up the story, verse 16. Verse 16, now it happened as we went to prayer. So they're still just in this region, just seeing what they can do, preaching the gospel. It happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Okay, so they run into this girl, and she is someone's property, and they're using her to tell people's futures. And the Bible says she's possessed by a demonic spirit. Um, so just quick side note, don't get involved in any of this fortune-telling stuff, tarot cards, palm reading. Listen, it's not of the Lord. It's not of the Bible. It's not God's way. It's not how God reveals to us his will. It's demonic. Stay away from it. So this, this girl goes around, and she's telling people's fortunes because she's possessed by this demon, and Her masters are using her for profitable gain. Verse 17 says, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Okay, so even demons have good theology. Verse 18 says, And this she did for many days. 
But Paul, greatly annoyed. Don't you just love that? Paul, he's greatly annoyed. He turns, he says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the demon came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So the, her masters are upset. The demon's out of her now, and now we can't make any profit off of this girl. So verse 20 says, they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, being Paul and Silas, they tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, okay, talking about the lashing marks, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, At this point, you think that maybe a small thread of doubt came into Paul's mind concerning God's call in his life? God, this is what you had for me? You closed those doors so you could open up this door of being beaten and thrown into prison? This is what what you're calling me to, to, to God? This is what you have? These are the plans? You know, when I was quoting that verse from Jeremiah, drinking coffee this morning, my coffee mug, for I know the plans you have for me, plans to prosper me, not to harm me. This doesn't line up with my coffee mug verse, Jesus. And so this is what we think. We think, we think, you know, if God's, if God's calling me to something, it's going to be easy. So I, I'm just, it, it doesn't say that Paul began to question his calling, but if I were being beaten with rods and thrown into jail, yeah, I'm just being honest, I would. I would. I would question God's calling on my life. Lord, I, this is where you wanted me to go. So verse 25 says, but at midnight, so they're in jail, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And listen, check this out. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So that was um, something practiced by the Romans, specifically Roman soldiers, if you let a prisoner go, you were going to be killed by your own authorities. So he's just like, I've lost my prisoners, let's get this over with. So he draws his sword to kill himself, but verse 28 says, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, washed their lashings. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. So here's point number three concerning God's calling on our lives. Point number three, difficulty does not negate God's calling. 
In other words, just because something is hard doesn't mean that God hasn't called me to do it. And we easily fall into this mindset of if God has called me to do something, it should be easy. Or if if God is in something, it's not going to be difficult. Clearly, the Bible says here that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from going into these regions to then meet Lydia, to then come across this girl, relieve her of her demonic possession, to then upset the authorities so much so that they would throw them into prison and be beaten. This was God's call for them. This is where God had them. And it was difficult, and it was hard, and it involved pain. And it involved potentially worry and where, where are we going to go next and where's our next meal coming from. But did you notice their disposition when they're in jail here? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. Listen, people are watching how you respond to difficult circumstances. People are watching how you respond to difficulty in your life. And how you respond can be a testament to the God you serve. People see your behavior. People, again, this kind of goes back to what other people think of you and your reputation. People are watching how you deal with difficulty in your life. And we as believers, we have to maintain this eternal perspective that there is a greater hope And the Bible also says that when we lose loved ones, we do not grieve as unbelievers grieve because we have this hope. We have this hope, guys. We have this beautiful hope that here on earth, our trials are temporary, our worries in the hands of the Lord are dealt with and met according to his will for our lives. Our physical bodies are not all that's there, but our spirit, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, goes on to live with the Lord, and the Bible promises new glorified bodies. We should be operating under this hope on a daily basis, knowing that no matter what comes our way, trials, difficulties, being beaten, put in prison, we have this hope so much so that we maintain this joy and we can be singing hymns in the midst of our difficulty. And people are listening. People are watching how you deal with difficult circumstances. And you should just be this instrument and light of hope in the midst of your prison cell that no matter who is around you, they see your love and hope for Jesus Christ, that they are listening and they are paying attention. Doesn't mean that everyone in that prison cell came to know Christ, but you know who did? The person in charge of the jail, the jailer. This earthquake happens, we just read it a moment ago, the prison doors open, their chains are loosed, and Paul and Silas, what do they do? What, what would I do? What would Austin do? I would, have, I would have run for my life. Lord, this is your way of providing an escape for me. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Thank you, God. Paul, he just waits. He just waits. I don't know why. Maybe God just told him just to be patient. But Paul is also a Roman citizen, so he probably knows Roman law. He knows that the jailer is out to kill himself because he, the jailer thinks he's lost the prisoners. So Paul just waits and he says, don't kill yourself, don't harm yourself, I'm still here. And that was a testament to the jailer. Paul didn't run from his circumstances. He stayed in the midst of the difficulty because he knows God has a greater purpose for me. 
So he stays. He stays in the middle of it. And that was the testament that the jailer needed to then run to Paul and says, what do I have to do to maintain and have this hope, the same hope that you have, Paul? To stay in the difficulty and to have this hope and to be singing hymns to your God? What must I do to have this hope? What can I do to be saved? And the Bible says that Paul preaches to him and his whole household, just like he preached to Lydia and her household, preaches to the jailer and his household, and they all get saved and baptized. This is what happens. So you might be in this difficult circumstances. I don't like my job. I don't like where God has me right now. Instead of complaining, just ask God, God, why do you have me here? Before I just bail, why have you put me here? I'm not saying that if if your job is difficult or you don't like your job, that God wants you to stay there, perhaps. Perhaps God wants to move you forward, move you on to another opportunity. That's fine. That, That might be the case. But in a difficult circumstance, we have to at least take the time to ask God, why, why am I here? Why do you have me here? Because for Paul, God had him here. God's calling on Paul's life was so that he could be in that prison so that he could witness to that jailer and his family. So just because something is difficult doesn't mean that God is moving you on or, doesn't mean, or it doesn't necessarily mean that that God's calling on your life is not in that moment. God's calling isn't always correlated with comfort. God's calling on your life might present difficult challenges. Ask the Lord, God, why am I here? Why do you have me here? And, and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you and potentially open up those opportunities to preach and share Jesus Christ with someone. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just, you, you, you get all just weird and you just, talk about the end times with someone at your workplace. But you you might just be a tool that God uses to sing in the midst of difficulty and other people are listening and they say, I want that hope that you have. And that might be why God has you there. So difficulty does not negate God's calling on your life because what was the result of Paul's obedience well, the jailer and his whole family got saved, which then brings up final point number four. God's calling on your life is not just about you. And, and we, and myself included, can tend to think really all just about me when I'm questioning God's will and call on my life. God's all about me. Where do you want me how can I benefit from the calling on my life, God? But have you ever considered that God called Paul there, not for Paul's benefit, but for the jailer's benefit, for Lydia's benefit? And it wasn't about Paul. Paul got the, the small straw on that deal. He got beaten and put in prison. But it wasn't about Paul. It was about this family, these two families, and, and I just want to change the perspective for the moment because we can tend to, when we think about God's calling on our lives, God's calling can just be very me-centric and how can I benefit? But God's call on our lives is not necessarily always about how can I benefit from this, but God's call on your life might be for someone else's benefit. 
so that other people can come to know Jesus Christ. God might have you at that job or at the position or at that school or wherever, maybe not even for your benefit for the moment, but for someone else's benefit. And when the Lord accomplishes his will through you, then the Lord will move you on. So we have to sometimes just have this outward perspective of God's call on my life isn't always and only all about me, but it might be about the people that God is putting in my path. And it just kind of conditions our attitude to not just always be about self, but to be about other people and who the Lord might be trying to bring in our path. So think about that, where you currently are right now. Stop, stop asking necessarily only the me questions. How can this benefit me, God? What's in this for me? But Lord, do you have me here for this person? Who are you putting in my path? Who's in earshot that you might be wanting me to set a good example for about what hope looks like? And so this is very important for us to understand about God's calling on our lives as well, that God's calling on your life is not just about you, and God may have you right where you are for the benefit of someone else. Let's close out our Bible study. Let's check out verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. And so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. All right, I would have stopped right there. Thank you so much. Verse 37 though, Paul says, they have beaten us openly and, can, and uncondemned, uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. So Paul, he's a bold dude right here. He's like, you can't just, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. There were no charges against me. You just beat me and put me in jail. You can't just like put this, like sweep this under the rug. Like get the Roman authorities and they, they can come and, and release me. I love Paul's boldness here. Verse 38, and the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Whoops. Verse 39, then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out. So they're begging them. Okay, we're so sorry, please go. And they asked them to depart from the city. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. So they go back to Lydia's house. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And so then they left, they departed. So God called them to go to those specific places so that those specific families could be ministered by Paul and Silas, Silas's and Timothy's hope and love for Jesus. Those households get saved. And then when they had accomplished what God had set out for them, the Lord moved them on. They departed. And so, an encouragement to you, you might be in this specific spot right now. It might be difficult. It might be hard. Ask God, why do you have me here? The other encouragement is, God doesn't always have you there forever. He, in his perfect timing, he's going to move you on. But you have to be sensitive to hear the Holy Spirit. Lord, why do you have me here? What's your purpose in this? Might not just be for my benefit, might be for someone else's. Lord, show me, use me, and then move me on to wherever you have me. And that's exactly what happened. And so once they accomplished God's purposes, 
God moved them on. Again, God's calling looks different for everyone, but here's some things that I hope we can all apply concerning God's call for our lives. Number one, you're never too young to be useful. You're never too young to be useful. Number two, don't be frustrated by closed doors. Every closed door, God is paving a way to the right door. So don't be frustrated by the closed doors. Number three, just because something's hard, don't just dismiss it. God might have you there for a specific reason. And then finally, your calling's not only about you. Keep that in mind as you continue just to seek the Lord and pray and ask the Lord, what do you have for my life? Keep those four things in mind and just trust the Lord that his perfect timing for your life is beautiful. He's weaving your story in his perfect timing. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the word. Get in the word. Consume it. Digest it. Eat it. Feed on God's faithfulness. Be obedient and say, God, wherever you have me, I just want to be faithful. And I'm going to trust that when it's my time to move on, you're going to move me on. And the Lord will do it because he's good. And he will do things, as Paul would later say in Romans, for your good, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Everything will happen for your good. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not good for you. Everything will happen for your good, for God's glory. Be sensitive to his call on your life. Apply these four principles and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And God, we just come before you and, and we just want to rest in that, Lord. We, we just want to be obedient and faithful, God. I know that that is the heart of so many in this room tonight. God, we just want to be, be obedient. We want to be faithful wherever you have us. Help us not to become so easily discouraged or distracted, Lord. Help us to not be intimidated just because we're young adults, Lord. Paul chose Timothy to accompany him in his ministry. Lord, encourage us tonight by your Holy Spirit that you desire to use us. So, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be sensitive to where you're calling us. Help us, God, not to be frustrated by the closed doors. But help us to understand that you're going to open up the right door in your perfect timing. Help us, Lord, to just be mindful that other people are watching, that we would live a God-honoring life, and that others might come to know you by our example, by the hope that we have, Lord. Help us to always remember that our calling on our lives is not only about us, but you may be putting us in people's paths for their benefit so that they can come to know Jesus. So help us just to always be cognizant of that, God. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing. Use us, Lord. Just think of this verse in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Here I am. Here we are, God. Send us. Call us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our workplaces, at our schools, at our homes. Lord, use us for mighty works of the Lord. We give you all the glory. Help us to be patient. Help us just to keep a soft heart. Help us to maintain a good attitude, no matter the difficulty. And lead us into your will. Step by step, day by day, just may we follow you 
and be faithful and obedient. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people together said, amen.